This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Epping Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Welcome to my friend from business school, Lena. Um, our The way we met is kind of a fun story. Maybe we'll get into it, but knew that we would be friends and hopefully business partners at some point in the future. Uh, but I knew she would be so perfect to have this continued conversation about um, about international development, but also like taking it broader. And after recording our first um, episode last week, I was thinking a lot about like, what is the, what are the questions I really want to answer? Like, what is it I really want to figure out um, in, within this, this international development or, or just like, how does the U.S. interact with other countries or specifically low-income countries might even be like a more broader, better way to look at it. Um, But what I was realizing was like, you know, Americans can be very American-centric and that, and that, that doesn't lie along or on one side or the other of the political spectrum. It just means like really different things, right? You might be really anti-war and just not want the U.S. military to be involved globally. Um, And that is obviously, you know, tends to be on one side of the spectrum. Um, Or you might be thinking about economics and say, why is the U.S. investing or donating to other countries when we have our own problems? And um, with that frame and with trying to think, like, how can we both look back at, like, the historic problems with how Europe and North America investors and donors have sort of treated development projects or treated investment in low-income countries, um, but also look forward to say, like, we still have to think outside of ourselves. Like, there are some clear benefits um, or some clear resources that um, Americans, you know, we're sitting in the U.S., um, also Europeans can bring, and how can we make it look more like a partnership? Um, And so, yeah, with that, um, I'd like to introduce... Lena, who do you want to say just a couple a couple things about yourself to introduce yourself? Sure. So hi, everyone. My name is Lena Cassier. I spent a decade in the insurance industry before coming back to school. I was leading different teams in various jurisdictions across the U.S. And then I took a keen on, I guess you'll say, entrepreneurship or investing in entrepreneur and entrepreneurs and the adventures. So I've been working in sort of a advisor consultant capacity to different startups uh, in the seed stage in North America and in Sub-Saharan Africa. So focusing on things like fundraising, growth, product market fit, and marketing. Uh, other than that, I am very excited be- of be- being part of this founding team of the Yale Africa Startup Reviews. Um, you can learn more about that on LinkedIn. And I think most importantly or most relevant to this podcast is that I actually grew up in Cameroon. So um, although I was born here, I think I was whisked away from the U.S. when I was like two years old, spent my entire life in Cameroon. And um, since I've been back to the U.S., I've kept a keen interest in this idea of foreign investment, you know, and foreign investors in whether it's startups or bigger companies or, you know, government doing it into um, African organizations. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. 
Yeah, I think I just wanted to like start the conversation with like basically putting a frame around like what is the interaction between and and I think just for simplicity also because it's literally the part of the the world that you and I are both familiar with mm-hmm. I think connecting like US investment and donation to sub-Saharan Africa we might have to just like narrow it for <laughs> for an example mm-hmm. um but maybe we can just sort of explain like kind of like what does that historically looked like and what does it look like now? And I know that you have um, more experience and more focus now on the investment side. And I've seen kind of a couple different sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's good to understand, like, what are all of the different ways that the U.S. might <laughs> or could be investing, donating, whatever, um, into sub-Saharan Africa? I think the easiest way for me to understand, because you're right, it's very, I don't want to say complex, it's just cumbersome, but the easiest way I've sort of divided it in my head is like, I'm looking at it public-private, right? Because when you say U.S. investing in Africa, it could be the U.S. government towards government or, or, you know, African government or towards government-type organization, or it could be American citizens investing either in institutions, companies, you know, startups. So historically, there was a lot of focus mostly doing donations and charity. Um, there was a there was some like a lot of focus on that, especially in the in the nineties, which was kind of like let's do the quote unquote right thing because Africa is suffering, um, which in some ways was almost done forgetting part of the reason why Africa is suffering. And we can certainly get into that, but it was like, let us write this check, but obviously it was never a free check, right? You don't just take taxpayer money from your country, give it to another just because your heart is made of gold. Um, It comes (laughs) with. (laughs) I just want to like focus on that point because I think that that is something that like, you know, myself growing up in the U.S. in like an evangelical church, right, that really focused mm-hmm. on, um, yes, like missions in some ways, but also like donating, right? Like it really mm-hmm. was this, you're doing it because it's good. Mm-hmm. Governments don't necessarily do it because it's oh, good. No. That might be a piece of it. But there are like real political interests. Oh, and absolutely. you can tell where the political <laughs> ties lie on how much money a government has given or lent or whatever to another. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it it's building allyship, it's influencing um, you know, economic patterns as well as political patterns, right? One of the big things in the 80s and the 90s were privatization of companies, right? It wasn't happening just in Africa, it was also happening in Southern America, but there was this idea of the government is not doing a good job running the company, so it must be privatized. So through the IMF and the World Bank, there's a lot of influence. And, you know, it's it wouldn't be foreign to say something like the U.S. will say, we will give you this five million check of donation if you accept the condition from the IMF to privatize this company. Right. That's just... Mm-hmm. 
the way it works. It's also a way to put pressure for, you know, some sort of tax taxes benefit, right? So if a good comes from the US or from France or whatever the case may be, it would be taxed at a lower level than say if it came from Zambia, because there are some pressure being placed on the government to say, I can help you, I can put this, give you this donation, but on the condition that you know, you put less taxes on the goods coming from, you know, my people, so to speak, right? And it's never truly an equal exchange because I think people can listen to this and go, yeah, of course, if I'm going to give you a donation, I should be able to get something in return. Well, first of all, if you give a donation, you should be able to just give a donation. But beyond (laughs) that, (laughs) the tax advantages that, you know, the private companies from a certain countries will get because that said country gave a donation will be much higher than you know the 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 check that was um that was given so yeah i think there's this sort of i want to say erroneous or not complete idea around the fact that when the us gives donation is not just from the bottom of our, of our heart here is a check you know take care of yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. It also affects, we can even go into elections, right? Um, It's, it, the, the, the effect of it is so wide um, and it really affects the daily livelihood of millions of, of people. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like, and this is like coming from working in international development and having a lot of friends that continue to, I think most people that are working in it have this pretty square, but I think from the outside, it can not be as obvious that like you're practically working in politics if you're working in international (laughs) development. Maybe not exactly, right? Like maybe the thing you're doing isn't, right? Maybe the thing you're doing is um, community health, right? Like Mm -hmm. it can be so many education. It can be so many things, but like you go far enough back in like the money and there's probably a political incentive somewhere. Oh yeah, of course. And it's also like depending on the administration, the said administration focus, right? Mm-hmm. If Obama's administration is focusing on women's healthcare and making sure that family plan is a thing, right? That's going to be sort of where the investment goes. If the next administration, and not that I know that that's what 45's administration was, but if they say they want to focus on education, so things are going to change. I saw a couple of weeks ago, I'm rewatching the West Wing. Oh um, my gosh. Perfect. I had to. <laughs> and, I love it. Just like and throw this, a little like calming politics into oh your brain. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's the second time in, I want to say a year and a half that I'm watching it because I never oh, watched yeah. it before. Mm-hmm. And there's this episode where um, basically the U.S. is going to make a donation to a country in Africa. I think they made up the country and I don't remember the name, but as part of the donation, the Republican senators or something wanted to add something about um, basically like not allowing abortion, 
right? So, um, what's his name? Jeb Bollett's wife was absolutely upset about it. And she was like, we can't make a donation and tell people how we, they're going to do their family planning. That makes no sense. When in our own country, people have certain rights. But mm-hmm. for me, it made me laugh because I was like, wow, this, this is in some ways how those conversation goes, right? It's like, we'll mm-hmm. write you the check, but here are the conditions, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of your livelihood regardless of your realities this check comes with a with conditions right yeah and I think that that um and and I like briefly touched on this last week with our like intro to international development but like for me the big factor that pushed me kind of away from largely donation driven projects was was basically seeing that on the ground and it wasn't necessarily that there was like it it wasn't in healthcare and it wasn't exactly that but it was the donors has had so designed the projects that instead of the projects responding to clear needs in the community they were going out and finding projects to build so that they could say we spent all the money make sure (laughs) to give us the next the same budget next year Mm -hmm. and it just, I mean, one, literally there was just such waste. And that was my first, like, okay, I'm still really interested in what is the, what can this partnership and like flow of money from say the U S to Africa. But I want to see what it looks like in the private sector where there are mm-hmm. market incentives not to waste and to make sure that it works on the ground. Well, in, on the private side, to an extent you can say there's less of it, but there's still this sort of unequal share of power because there is one person who has the checkbook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you like a, a quick story. So with the Yale Africa Startup Review, one of the questions we had in our sort of initial survey to the startups were around impact, right? And basically asking the startup where they set up to have sort of a social impact, you know, in addition to financial, healthcare, whatever, like, you know, the, are you sort of a social impact, um, social impact startup? And we were astonished by the result. Like it came out, you could click more than once, obviously, but it looked like as if virtually every startup was clicking social impact as well as something else. And through conversations, it was one or two things. Part of it is that, yes, in reality, a lot of the startups are solving infrastructural problems, so it will have a social impact. The other piece, though, that became a reality is that many entrepreneurs feel the need to talk or say this thing about impact because the investors are imposing sort of that lens, right? And for me, it was interesting because I was like, well, if you're an investor in, you know, in the U.S., for the most part, what social impact do you care that Airbnb or Facebook is doing, right? You just want money. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that African imp- entrepreneurs don't just want money? And I'm not advocating that that's necessarily the right way. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. here we are today, but it was intre- It's interesting on the private side to see these tendencies on the entrepreneur side to say one thing or the other because the person who holds the check 
want to see certain things, right? Yeah. So I think there's still a, a bit of that power. Um, mm-hmm. The conditions are not as strenuous because, you know, there's a bit of transparency in the VC world of this is what should be in a contract. So if you educate yourself, you could have access to what is a good contract between you and your investor. But there's still this idea of, okay, before I can have you as an investor, can I not speak the language that you do, but I can I dance to the drum of you, to the beat of your drum kind of thing? No, I'm, I'm just so glad you brought that up because it, it highlights the newness of the impact investing industry that there's so much um, discussion around wanting to be very broadly inclusive, like what counts as impact. Um, But at the same time, it can be really hard or it it sometimes is really hard to like look at even one of those VCs that might be investing in Africa and say like, okay, like what was your impact strategy, right? Like you said, you're investing for impact. You asked for these impact companies, what really is your strategy? And sometimes it's just really not clear. And mm-hmm. I guess like to your point, I just wish that they were honest, that they were like, we think that investing in sub-Saharan Africa in companies that are going to provide jobs and answer like any type of social like need, it doesn't mean that it's actually social impact, right? Like any good idea is like yeah. filling a social need, right? Yeah. Like Facebook was all about connecting us, right? Like it turns out now it's more about like killing our soul. But it was originally about connecting people. And so, and I just wish they were honest. They're like, honestly, in Africa, we're just going to kind of count everything as social impact, but we want to know like, what is job creation, right? Like what is, like you said, like what infrastructural problem are you addressing? Um, Instead of making it this like very like esoteric, like we're just doing good for the world. Like, well, jobs and income and taxes into this country is probably going to have a positive social impact. That is our- that's what we think impact is. <laughs> and you, I mean, you are so right in the sense that you see the difference between VCs that have people who are, who have local knowledge in some ways, right? Um, versus the ones that are like, we want to do good and they still don't understand. You can tell that they still don't understand the local reality. Mm. Uh, For me, it was really interesting to work for this VC firm, Global Ventures, over the summer. They're based in Dubai. So, and they typically invest in the Middle East, Northern Africa, but they're expanding into Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, the person who was in charge of, I will say, the Africa branch, so to speak, Sasha, had a really good knowledge, you know, of the continent, right? For the most part, like certain countries more than others, obviously, based on her experience. And because of that, it was so neat to work for someone who was like, all right, we're looking at this company, you know, let's look at it with sort of a certain discipline with the numbers, a discipline with the thought process, a discipline with the local realities, not the, oh, we're trying to do some good and sort of like shooting in the dark, you know, I mean, in some ways VC is shooting in the dark, but I, I really appreciate the discipline in looking at and and having a framework, right? Because for me, it also meant respect as well as consideration 
for the space or the geography that you're looking into. Usually my challenge when I hear some of the people investing is like, it's almost as if the line is getting blurred between impact and nonprofit. You know, this Mm. idea of, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'll put money in there. If I get something back, I get something back. If I don't, I don't. But that wasn't the real reason, right? Like if I really wanted to get some money back, I would invest in a different space. And I'm like, but that that's not the point. Like (laughs) you, you investing money, you know, like put some respect and consideration to the entrepreneurs that you are um, investing in. The good news is more and more people, I would say who are involved are learning, you know, it's not there yet. But the second piece that I think will really be a change maker is when they are able to use local talent, right? You have people on the continent who have background in investment, right? And they understand the environment in which they are. Go after those people, right? When you were talking in the beginning as, you know, American-centric, it's always interesting to me how, you know, as a VC firm in the U.S., you will take people in the U.S. who have never been, you know, on the continent and who sometimes will talk about the continent as if it's a whole country and you send them there. And yes, they may have like the school credentials and whatnot. And you send them there to like do the work of finding and investing in the proper institution. And it's like, well, would you do that if it was, you know, if you were in the States, right? Um, So I think there's a lot of opportunity in leveraging the local talent who are smart, who know what they're doing, or the diaspora, right? Diaspora slash returnees. I think with a good offer, with a good package, you can find someone, whether it's in the US or the cities in, you know, the big cities in Europe, who would be willing to go back and do that job really well for you with a mm-hmm. fairly good understanding of, you know, the local realities. Um, yeah, that just reminded me that in my previous role, a number of the funds that we supported um, throughout the continent, that was how they were started was returnees, largely like investment bankers, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know this, but I think that like probably a lot of Americans don't like, do you know how many African investment bankers there are in London? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a, a, lot. Whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot. Yeah. A whole lot. And they don't want to live in London forever, right? Like a lot of, you know, the people that I met were really interested in doing that for a while. Like the same way that, right, we just, you know, I just graduated, you're graduating soon. Most of the people I know going into investment banking aren't like, this is it for me forever, right? I'm moving to New York. I'm never going to have a family. All I'm going to do is work. That's it. No, like they go and do it for like three to five years, maybe longer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're interested in doing something else. And so that's just one pool. But I did meet a number of um, people who started funds like that in Southern Africa and East Africa. Um, and yeah, it just was like so shocking that there are also all of these other funds, right, that like haven't tapped into those pools. 
And it's like they're right there. (laughs) Exactly. They're right there. I I I think the challenge there is almost uh not almost it's actually quite the same as what we see here within our own frontier within the US of the whole Mm -hmm. diversity within within V uh VC, right? Yeah. Because it's it's the entire sort of value chain of okay, rich investor knows this person who's willing to start a VC or who has started a VC. They're looking into Africa because, oh my God, impact. I'm being a bit sarcastic, so bear with me. I mean, but you're not wrong. (laughs) So they both either went to the same school or one was parents, friend or whatnot with money. So they invest in that VC and that person takes the money goes to, you know, usually sub-Saharan Africa, typically I will say like Kenya, Nigeria, you know, the usual suspect, mostly Kenya. I think you don't see it as much in Nigeria. And then invest in in the the white entrepreneur who came from the U.S. and who was like, oh my God, I can do this impact. And it's like this entire chain of people who sort of knew each other from school, but didn't do the homework of sort of opening, you know, their not just their mind, but like opening their network and really doing the hard work that it takes to take in the environment in which you're looking to invest. And that's why you see from like the person who gave the money to the investor, like from that original point of the money all the way down, there's Mm -hmm. usually like a school connection, right? Um, I read an article not long ago where I think in VC here in the US, usually like Stanford, Harvard, right? MBA students type of thing. And it was basically kind of the same thing when you look at the continent, <laughs> which is so weird because it's yeah. like halfway across the world. But it's it's the same sort of painful numbers and realities when it comes to like serving a, you know a market that is more diverse than your own um, knowledge. Yeah. And I think that the other, you, you kind of like said this earlier, but I just wanted to like re- reiterate that like also your South African friend is probably not going to like know how to invest in Malawi necessarily. Right. Exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, they might, I don't know, like they might have that experience, but they also might not. The same as like, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've been watching a lot of Hallmark movies on the back, like in the background <laughs> while I've been working. They're just like very soothing. And I'm like, oh, this is literally a Hallmark movie. Like the asshole investor from New York ends mm-hmm. up in like small town Vermont and is trying to buy this like small business or whatever, right? It's just some like very messy deal. And everybody in the mm-hmm. community is like, you can't do it that way. And the New Yorker is like, I know everything. Um, <laughs> like it can be the same thing. And it just reminds me of of a story of... Um, a group that was like based in South Africa. They had offices elsewhere in East Africa and the South Africans had made an early investment before they opened the East Africa office that had partners. So, you know, like senior leadership in the firm um, from that country. And they had made an investment that was, was nearby before they brought in these new partners. And then the new partners were like, that was a terrible investment. I would have never done that. And so it's like, it, it just, it's at a scale where you really have to remember, like, not that we're going to do it perfect, but like, there's a lot of work to do. And it just goes back to the, like, Africa's not a country. 
<laughs> and your South African friend or investor or Kenyan friend or investor is not necessarily going to be like the expert for every country. But like it at least gets you closer and like the closer you can get to local context um, will get you, will also get you better returns, right? Like we are talking, yes. we've actually yes. like moved away from talking about like grant funded impact focused investing or donation to like market rate investing like you want to make money so like don't go make making mistakes because you think you know better <laughs> but that's the thing though that's where sometimes i ch- you know i challenge some of them where i'm like are you really looking to make money or are you looking to say that you had impact and put impact and money and impact in nonprofits so close to each other that the line gets blurry and and you're right that's a the other piece is you're absolutely right on it's a reality the confusion around like africa is not a country when you say that to people now i feel like some people roll their eyes because they're like i know but i'm like no do you really know if you are <laughs> a portfolio manager or it's someone looking to make investment and you started in Nairobi or you think you know Nairobi, it's a very different reality in Lagos. You will get in the life in Lagos, right? Because culturally, <laughs> <laughs> we know that Nairobi is more welcoming, especially of foreigners and blah, 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 compared to Lagos, where Nigerians are like, no, this is my town. I do the business here on my, you know, on my own terms kind of thing. And you also have the Anglophone versus Francophone um, countries, right? Or not just versus, but like that sort of division. And you have the Spanish speaking, Portuguese speaking countries. Those also have, there's also a very different culture of doing business specifically between these different groups based on obviously, you know, their colonization and whatnot history. So those are all the layers to consider. In my experience in talking to different people in the ecosystem, I think Europeans have a better understanding. Clearly, they're closer geographically and historically and whatnot compared right. to the, you know, to compared to Americans. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they are in in a both worse and better way have historically <laughs> been forced to deal with the their their own colonial history right exactly. whereas like the US isn't and 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 certainly not in the same areas right um yeah. whereas in the US it's always or at least when you talk about Africa for the US it's always like oh we're you know we're a third party we don't have a stake here like we're just we're just a rich country here to like donate money or whatever whereas um and it certainly is not perfect cuz let me tell you i have met belgians who did not know about the history of the Congo until they went to work elsewhere in Africa and someone like mentioned King Leopold and the Congo and they're like what like literally didn't know that. So, <laughs> I think it probably depends on the country but when you're talking about investors I agree I think Europeans at least understand the history and the differences a lot better yeah I, and I think it's not just being close also historically I think the other advantage of Europeans is you know, you go from Germany to France, it's a completely different culture. And that's what a two hour train, right? Mm, You go from London to Paris, you take the Eurostar, that's a three, three hour and a half train, completely different language, cultures, you know, so inherently, they're also more used to this idea of from one point to the other, it's going to be different. Like you Mm -hmm. said, they're not perfect, they still have some education to be done over there. But in inherently, again, it's like, 
oh, I know it can be different if I take a three-hour flight or a three-hour train, right? Whereas the U.S., you take a five, six-hour flight from New York to California, and, you know, you just go from one wealth to a different type of wealth, so to speak, right? It's the same mm-hmm. country in some ways. To At least to a foreigner, it's the same culture. Um, so it's not th- this idea of true and real differences doesn't sort of like, it's not something that we are used to here. At least when not when we're thinking about the, um, the outside world, which has always been interesting to me. It's like when we're thinking about ourselves here in the U.S., it's very, we know the difference between New York, Utah, and California or Texas. And we will point that out, right? Not always in the most positive way, but we'll do it. <laughs> and then <laughs> we go abroad and we just have this like wild generalization. And I'm like, okay, if I tell you I'm from Cameroon and you told you tell me, oh, my cousin, you know, was in Tanzania three years ago. And I'm just like, what makes you think that I know anything about Tanzania <laughs> from Cameroon when you know that you don't know much about Utah being from New York, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's always interesting. But I really like that comparison. Um, I hadn't like thought of that of like, yeah, Americans are used to being able to one, we're used to being able to travel really all over the world and speak our own language, which is super unique. But mm-hmm. certainly within our country, um, which is like you said, it's it's broad, it's wide. You can drive for days and you're in the same country and everybody's speaking the same language. Um so that is like that is a really interesting way to think about it. And so I guess like my kind of final question for like this part of the conversation is, so you we kind of touched on like things, like where things are going better, right? Or like what can be better. But if you could like really shift the structure and like where the power is held in like a realistic way, not like a wave your magic wand and suddenly... <laughs> But like in a, hey, like here's like a really good way that it would, like what, like what do you think would work? Like what do you think is a way to like really spread or share power and influence in the right way that, that like, you know, it gets U.S. investors genuinely interested in the returns from the continent, for example, right? Like what do you think like the best way to do that is? The first thing has to do with storytelling. Americans love stories. Right. Oh my God, this is like the bane of my existence right now. <laughs> if you just want a good marketing story, fine. Yeah, so it's like the first thing is a more sort of education knowledge, so to speak, around the stories that are that surrounds the African entrepreneurs, whether it's the success story, the exit, just more of that, right? Just like here you have like Airbnb was, you know, did the IPO the other day and within five seconds you go on Twitter and it's like people telling you how they either missed when, you know, they first came to them as investors and blah, blah, blah. There's this whole story of how they, you know, the CEO was dedicated to this mission and blah, blah, blah. And then now look at this, right? As much as we all know that most startups fail, in America, we have this belief in the financial success of startups because the stories are there to keep us inspired. 
So if you are an investor and you are truly interested, you know, or you dabbling with the idea, I think the first piece is get yourself sort of immersed into that environment in terms of your readings and the people you talk to so that you understand the stories. Oh, on the other end is who are the people telling the stories of these startups and how are the the stories being told, right? Are we focusing on the hardship and not on the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Like I Sometimes you, when you think about the interviews of entrepreneurs here, the success story is like, you know, it's kind of like, how did you know your dream was going to work? <laughs> you know, you know the, the hardship, but you kept your eyes on the prize kind of thing. But with African startups, even the success stories, there's still so much focus on, are you kind of afraid though at some point it's going to fail? You know, it's a different question. It's a different way of telling that story. So I would say that's the, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing I would say is, again, educating yourself on the data, right? The population, the, the diversity, the, the people who are part of the ecosystem, right? And being willing to understand that how you measure certain things may not be adequate for um, the local in, in environment, right? So on that, like a quick story. Last year, I lived in Nairobi for uh, a couple of months. And during that time, I, I did a bit of travel within um, East Africa. And I was talking to, um, I won't say the name, but this guy who is sort of leading sort of the Africa branch of um, the investment firm that he was working for. And he talked about the story of this entrepreneur who wanted, in Uganda, who wanted to launch private busing for kids from home to school, kind of like what we have here in the U.S., but privatized because the government doesn't offer that. And it would be such a relief for parents to know that their kids can get to school on time. And I'm sure you've experienced the traffic of, you know, I don't know if you experienced that in Dakar. It's present in virtually every African city mm-hmm. cities because they're yeah. overpopulated. So for a parent to be able to say, I'm going to get to work on time and my kids is going to get, are going to get to school on time and I don't, won't have to worry. Right. But the investor was requiring sort of a confirmation or a letter from a government entity promising that they won't give, they won't provide that service within the next five to 10 years so that he's sure that it's going to be profitable. And I'm sitting there going, what? if, If they haven't offered it in the last 60 years, it's not tomorrow. And that is so not on their list of priorities, right? So, or like so when un- in the U.S. did an investor require that of like Uber, for example, exactly. right? Uber's like, we're going to disrupt. And what investor was like, no, I need confirmation that the government is going to like let this happen or whatever. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to an extent in being fair, I understand a little bit of that fear, right? Because the reality is that it has happened with major companies that a change of government makes all of your contracts void. Right. I get that. But at the same time, I'm thinking there's there's a way to sort of think about that, right? 
you are offering a service, you are forcing someone to get confirmation from a government that they won't provide a service. First of all, they will never get it. Second of all, in the list of, if you are aware of that, if you do your homework on that environment, you will see that for sure, the government has a long list of things to do before they decide to buy a fleet of bus to send kids to school. They first have to build those schools, by the way. <laughs> you know, they're fixing a different part of the, you know, of the equation here. Mm-hmm. So that second piece of just like doing your homework properly, you know, on the environment so you don't ask lack of a better word, dumb question or make dumb requests to um to local entrepreneurs. Third, remember that you are making a real investment. So it's so you know it it's kind of okay to have that discipline that you have when you make inv- you know your investments here in in the US and especially in giving the benefit of the doubt right you have a lot of entrepreneurs that are really really well educated i mean you and i know the it data sometimes show that they're way yeah. more educated than the entrepreneurs oh my in the gosh. US. <laughs> like that's that's the that's what you're really saying. Like they have more graduate degrees, more Absolutely. experience, and understanding that by the time they stand in front of you, they've gone through so many different vetting methods, right? Whether it's through the incubators, the accelerators, and blah blah. Like for them to even be in that room with you, it's mm-hmm. it speaks volume already. And granted. You may get some in front of you, they do a presentation, and it's not to the style that you use in the U.S., right? Give some benefit of the doubt. And by style, mm-hmm. I especially mean things like being direct and forward and, you know, having on their presentation how they're going to take over the world. You're, talk- <laughs> you're talking to people who have struggled, <laughs> right. right? They want to fix this specific problem. You can be the person who helps them see bigger, Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. The relationship may have to be a bit different because in the U.S. we are thought to say, I want to conquer the world, even though usually when we say the world, we actually mean the U.S. But, you know, in our mind, the U.S. is the world Um, for them. It's they, they prioritize being realistic over being dreamy. Mm-hmm. So it's a different relationship. So the, the, the those three things. um, I would say the story, understanding the the, the storyline, understanding the environment, and making sure that you yourself speak the you know the the local language, so to speak. And I'm not speak you know I'm talking about Swahili, but I'm talking about like style, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or and like you said, just like understanding it's different, right? There's a lot of countries in Africa that speak English, right? So whoever mm-hmm. is coming in and pitching to you, they're going to be speaking English, but. Speaking English and speaking the same language, like you said, are are different yes. things. Very, very different. Very different. The way they make their comparison, the way, you know, what they emphasize on, you know, um, is, is very different. And yes, you are busy as an investor, but, you know, in some ways it's like really think of it as if you make it in, take it with the seriousness that you make, the seriousness that you have when you're making an investment in the U.S., Yeah, I love that. I think that that's like, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you, knowing that this is for like a largely American audience, some of whom I'm sure are totally familiar with a lot of this, but 
it's also just to to put in the lens and and we'll be talking about this um briefly in the next episode but th- there's like a lot of different things happening right when you talk about any number one of and again like we're just focusing on Africa cuz it's useful cuz we can like have some shared context but you know investors or donors need to come in at a lot of different places and i think it's just really useful to sort of get out of the mindset of the only use that say Americans have is donating money and it has to be through these kind of existing infrastructures where mm. other things that have positive economic in, like could have incredible economic impact are just normal investing right like what percentage of your portfolio is in public markets in Africa what percentage of your portfolio is going to private markets obviously especially if you're you know an investor or like an institutional investor um, I think it's just really good to remember, like, it's a continent full of economic opportunities for investors, and they're serious economic opportunities. And that's just like a good reframe of what type of relationship can we have? Yes. And I was going to add actually one last thing, which is being open minded to the structure that, um, that some of these startups are trying to offer. Right. Because especially in space like healthcare and education, some of it will sound very new and unusual, right, to an American um, investor. Because in the US, we have social security as a service, we have healthcare run in a certain way. You know, we can have all kinds of discussion about how broken it is and it needs to be basically, you know, remade. But what is happening in a lot of African market is that these entrepreneurs are not just building their company, they're actually building entire verticals. Mm. So mm-hmm. being with them means that it's not just like this little portion of the value chain that you have to solve. You have to think about the entire thing, right? So that is a crucial, crucial part. And, I, and sometimes it can feel scary, right? Because you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is the problem is so much bigger. Yeah, it looks big. And I'm not saying it's easy to resolve, but I have seen quite impressive entrepreneurs trying to solve a problem and really tackling it from different views and solving it in a way that if you bring it into the US, you'll be like, oh wow, this is actually pretty, pretty neat. Like it could serve us to learn actually mm-hmm. from some of the verticals that they are building. So keeping that open mind is also very, very important. Thank you for listening to Effing Ethical. Check us out on Instagram at F-I-N-G Ethical and on our website at songandsarah.com. We'd love to hear from you. What industries or systems do you have questions about? How are you making ethical decisions in everyday life? 2020 is hard and we would love to hear about how it's going for you. Thanks.